Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. Thought I was going to have to do a Heidi Baker and preach from the floor this morning. Just about got enough strength in my legs to stand up. I was just thinking as um, Jenny sang out earlier, she sang for the one. And then she interchanged it with the word that we've, we've won, that he's won. <laughs> and I feel like there's, there's victory in this place today. Because the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. And he's made a way for us to be one with him. And he's made a way for us to stand here today going, we've won. (laughs) We've won. There's victory in this place. So it would be highly, highly unlike me to stand up and to not speak about covenant. (laughs) So what I want to do is ask John in the back to put on a a five-minute clip that can sum up covenant, because I know I've spoken on it a number of times, but this five-minute clip by the Bible Project is a, is a great summary of, of what is, is going to lead us in to what we're going to study today. So thanks, John. That's good. Thank you. I figured he could sum it up a lot better and quicker than I could. But... Um, We've been celebrating, haven't we, Easter recently. This feels like it's really booming. Is it booming? Is it all right? Um, and we're going to look at what it means uh, for, that, for that new covenant for us today. And we've talked about uh, David last time he looked at um, Ephesians. He talked about uh, what Jesus had done for us on the cross to bring us into a relationship with him relationship where we're one with him. Alan looked at how um, because of what Jesus had done for us, we get to be adopted children of the King of Kings because Jesus made a way. There's something about a God who, who wants to make covenant with us, to cut a covenant with us. We need to grasp because, because he's done everything for that to happen in this moment. And we get to respond today, not just with an awareness of what that means in terms of my relationship with God, but what that means in terms of how we get to partner with him because of what he's done. Yeah? So let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2. No, not at all verses 2. Verses 11 to 22. In my Bible, it's entitled, Oneness and Peace in Christ. 
Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, used to be called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Do you remember that circumcision was the thing, that was the sign that they were in covenant, that the Jews were in covenant with God. They were circumcised. And they're looking at the Gentiles and they're calling them uncircumcised heathens. (laughs) In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Who knows what it's like to live in a world without God and without hope. This is the Gentile people that he's talking to right now. This is probably every one of us before we gave our lives to Jesus. And any person in this room that doesn't know the love of God. Without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He's united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. All of us, every single person, whether you're far or near, can come into the presence of God because of Christ and what he's done. Verse 19 says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. You're citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Do you remember? Adopted into his family with all of the rights of a family member. Citizens, that suggests that we've got authority in a place. (laughs) Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. See, this passage in Ephesians 2 talks about how Jesus didn't just make a covenant with the Jews, with the people who throughout history he'd wanted, he'd longed for a nation that knew him and that was working with him and that that was in relationship with him. Suddenly Jesus, through what he's done on the cross, 
uh, Paul, who's writing Ephesians, is understanding it's not just about the Jews. It's about everyone. And he's talking to us today, I believe, (laughs) and bringing a challenge that because of what he's done, we have a choice every time we come up against any kind of judgment, any kind of division, any kind of separation that that causes us to to wanna to withdraw from another people or think that we're better than them. There's something in this passage for us to get hold of that, that says to me, he's done everything to show us that this is about everyone coming into his presence and knowing him. And he uses the analogy of a, of a temple. And if you remember in history, um, the, the Jewish people had a, had a place where they would, they would meet with God. It was a, a tabernacle where the presence of God was in that place where he would, he would speak to the priest. And uh, uh, once a year, <laughs> they were allowed into the most holy place, into his presence. But David wanted to build a permanent structure. He wanted to build a temple that remained. And through his son Solomon, they were able to see the first temple built a temple that was made out of stone that was there as a permanent reminder that this is where God abides. This is, this is who our God is and, and we can come into that temple. But throughout history and the temple being destroyed, um, what we saw in Jesus' day was not actually the original design that God had given them for a temple. And uh, if, John, if you just put the picture up. You'll see that in, this was a, a model of what it's like um, in Jesus' day. And um, if you follow that arrow where it says the Sarog there, outside of the temple, you'll see a wall that was around the main place. Can you see that? Like, it was actually just a low wall, kind of waist height. But that wall was there to say, no Gentiles are allowed past this point. They actually found in uh, a few hundred years ago, they found a, a stone that says, if any Gentile comes past this place, you will die. <laughs> now that wasn't in the original design of the temple. And in, I, I can't explain it all now, but there are places in that temple where that women were allowed to be, but they weren't allowed to go into where the men were. There was a dividing, separating section for that. And then right in the top bit, main bit there that's sticking out, is the Holy of Holies, is the, is the place where God's presence was. And, and even then, only the, only the priest could go in. On the cross, God himself tore the veil that separated that most holy place. There was something he was doing in that moment on the cross that said, there will not be any more dividing walls. Not even in that most holy, holy, holy place. I don't want people to be separated from my presence anymore. Hmm. But it goes on in 1 Corinthians 6 to say, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit where he, where he abides. You now are that encounter for anybody to know the presence of God. So put your hand on your heart and just say, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And even now, Holy Spirit, we invite you ah, to come even more into our hearts. For, for everyone who, who comes in t- to see us or near us, God, that they get to encounter you because your presence resides in me. Hmm. But this passage isn't just talking about us as individuals. It's talking about the fact that God is building us as a temple of, the, of, of his Holy Spirit. Together with Christ as the cornerstone, that place where we align ourselves with that makes, it, makes the walls straight and strong, Christ, the cornerstone, is putting us into a place, one with one another, that's building a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is why I get excited about church. (laughs) Not just this church, the fact that all around the world we we have bricks, stones, living stones of people that God is fitting together with us to build a temple for his presence to reside. And I think there's something that he wants us to get about that oneness with one another. What does it look like to be living stones joined together with no division, with no separation, with no pride that says I can do it on my own. I don't need you. They get to encounter me on my own. No, they do. But there's something about when we join together and go, actually, this right now gets to demonstrate who our God is. You see, Israel was always supposed to model who God was for the rest of the world. And yet they closed ranks and they were like, no, we get to keep God to ourselves and we'll try and do it as best we can. We don't even want relationship with him. We just want to follow laws and rules in order to, uh, to, to be able to access his presence. But they missed it. They missed the fact that them, who they were as a nation, got to model to the rest of the nation who their God is, to invite everyone else in. And I think we get to model something in this church and as the church globally that shows who our God is so that everyone can know him. David talked about uh, last time the, the importance of relationship and that's all that he wants. Let's have a look in Revelation 2, where, where Jesus talks to the Ephesian church, or the church of Ephesus, talks to the angel of the church. And uh, I'm just going to summarize a little bit at the beginning, but he's basically saying, I see how hard you've worked. I see that you've been really enduring patiently and you've been making sure that all of the things that I've taught you are actually your, your, um, your preaching and you're making sure that those things aren't being diluted. But then in verse four it says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now in some Bibles it just says you've lost your first love. Hmm. My mouth's completely dry. I'm going to try and do this without shaking. (laughs) You see, I've always read that chapter and thought, 
oh, my first love is my love for Jesus. And I must have, you know, I need to watch that I don't lose that first love that I, when I fell in love with him, when I realized his love for me, I must make sure that I don't lose that first love. And as I've been looking at this, I've been realizing that actually there's a, there's a church later on, the church of Laodicea, where God goes, ah, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm, I want to I wanna spit you out. Now I think that was his message to a church that had lost their love for God. <laughs> she just looked lukewarm, it was nothing. I think there's something about the church of Ephesus where Jesus is going, I see all of your good works. I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to preserve all of these things I've taught you. I see how hard you're working. But you're missing the main thing. The main thing's about love. It's about love for me, yes. But it's about how you love. And the reason I kind of just got this recently is because he goes on to say, if you don't get this bit, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand. And a lampstand is where you put your light on and it shows your light to the rest of the world. It shows, it, it illuminates the world. And I think that Jesus was saying and he was reminding them that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. That you have one love for one another. There's something that if we don't grasp that it's all about love, we lose our effectiveness to be light in the world. And that means, unless we understand it's all about oneness with one another, as well as with God, we lose our effectiveness to model who he is to the rest of the world. <laughs> See, even the word Ephesus means desirable in Greek. It's a it's a word that a bridegroom would use for his bride-to-be. It's like, you're my desirable. And we have a bridegroom waiting for a wedding day with his bride. And his name is Jesus. And his bride is the church. And he's looking at us. That's why I actually love the, the book of Ephesians, because there's something about us to, gra- to grasp these fundamental things that he's trying to say. He's like, you're my church. I'm coming back to marry you. And what he's coming back to marry is, is someone who's decided it's all about this. It's all about oneness with one another and him. I think there's a war on for connection. And often when I stand up and preach, um, it's really easy to just pick examples of, of things that I, I've seen that are really good or things that God's done and you all go, wow, that Nick Barnsley, yay. Or some, t- some of you do. Um, <laughs> but there's a war on for connection in my life. There's been, there's been an attempt my whole life for the enemy to tell me that I'm rubbish at relationships. And this week, especially. (laughs) But we have a saying in my family and it's, we don't do disconnection. We don't do disconnection. I have a friend who I'll try and keep anonymous, who a couple of weeks ago just had a complete meltdown. She was just uh, spinning out of control with like 
feelings of shame and that nobody loved her and that she was rubbish at relationships and she was just, you could see how she was internally just exploding. And I got a text that said, hey, I'm not doing well. I'm going to go and hide. And I was like, no, you're not. You're absolutely not going to do that because we don't do disconnection. So I picked up my phone, ring, 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 ring. Wouldn't answer the phone. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying to me. Pick up your phone. Ring, 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 ring. Didn't answer the phone. I'm like, we don't do disconnection. Pick up your phone. She's like, yeah, I can't talk right now. I'm like, pick up your phone. Ring, 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 ring. Eventually, she picks up the phone. And the first words out of my mouth are, we don't do disconnection. The enemy is wanting you to disconnect right now. He's wanting you to be separate from the very people that love you in this moment, who can speak life into you, who can, who can say to you, hey, you're not alone. You see, the enemy wants to convince us that we're alone. He wants to convince us that what we've done is too bad. He wants to convince us that shame is our, is our place where we need to hide. And it is so destructive. It is. And actually, fortunately, she chose well. <laughs> and she reached out to a few people close to her. And she said, hey, I'm going through a hard time. I want to do this with you. This is where I'm at. And I asked her the other day, I said, what difference did that make? She said, Nick, for the first time I felt pursued and I felt fought for. I felt like love actually fought for me in a moment when I needed it the most. And she said, instead of spinning out of control and hiding for two or three weeks from all relationships, that's the pattern in my life. That's how I've always done life. She said, within about a day, I was back to where I wanted to be. I think there's something about declaring as a church that we don't do disconnection. Because I tell you who does, and that's the enemy. He wants us to feel alone. Because there is something about partnering with one another that really scares him. Hmm. At Christmas time, I... Uh, this is just to prove that I'm actually, I struggle like everybody else. Christmas time, my brother um, is about to go to America to live. And uh, so it was a big deal for us as a family. It was the last time we were going to get together as a family for a while and all be together. And for whatever reason, and there are a number of reasons, but I somehow seem to put on a pair of glasses that saw everything of the build-up to that time together as family and the time that we were together, I saw everything through a lens of rejection. <laughs> and even in my approach to that time, I was like, huh, my brother gets to go there before me. Is that because he loves my brother more than me? Huh. He's invited my mom and dad to stay afterwards. Is that, like, he's not invited me to stay afterwards. It was ridiculous. I was looking at everything through a lens that was like, he doesn't want to be with you. And we're Christians. My brother's a, an amazing pastor, and we, had, we actually had a lovely time together. But in the little moments, I was watching, and I was going, see? 
We're on this amazing walk, but he doesn't want us to have a conversation with me. It was utterly, utterly pathetic, okay? This is for you all to know that Nick Barnsley has utterly pathetic moments. But I didn't know I was wearing a lens of rejection. It felt incredibly real. And uh, if anybody remembers what happened at New Year, I got home back here. My brother lives in Sheffield, and uh, I got back to the the news that we needed to go straight up and see Phil, and that was the the night that he died. So I was straight in to the the trauma and the the loss of, of Phil and preparing the funeral. And I found out within a couple of days of getting back, my brother was really angry with me. I'm like, how are you angry with me? Like, I've got this whole case that I've built that gives me permission to be angry with you. How come you're angry with me? And somehow, in the way that I had, I had reacted and I'd behaved in, in that family time, he had interpreted my behavior as that I didn't want to be with him. And as soon as I found out that my brother was angry, even though I had a big case against him, I was like, we don't do disconnection. <laughs> we don't do it. And as much as I'm struggling right now in the loss of Phil, I said to my brother, hey, I want you to know that I love you and that I've got a mess to clear up. <sighs> but right now, I'm in the middle of someone dying that I love. So I will ring you in a week's time, and we will sort this out. And in the mess of not sorting it out, know this one thing, I love you. And sure enough, in a week, week's time, I rang him, and the ridiculousness of it, as I began to say all of these things, I realized the lie was, I didn't feel like he wanted to connect, and he didn't feel like I wanted to connect, but the absolute opposite was the truth. The reason we were both hurting is because our desire was for connection. And what I've realized is that I could have come away, I could have used that whole uh, experience of Phil dying as an excuse to just go, I've got enough going on in my life. You deal with your stuff, I'll deal with this, but I've got enough going on. And it would have been very easy to bury stuff under the carpet. But you know, the next time we tried to come together, there would be stuff buried under the carpet. And that desire for connection would have hit up against some junk under that carpet. And chances are we'd have buried a bit more, and we'd have buried a bit more. And actually, that's how relationships get broken down. I have have an amazing family. I recognize that I actually hurt my mum and dad through choosing uh, to, to operate out of a lens of rejection because it's not f- fun for parents to see that their siblings aren't getting on. <laughs> hey, guess what? It's not fun for parents to see that their siblings aren't getting on. We have a father that loves us and wants what's best for us. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to finish with this one thought. Uh, I lived in, in California, and, and on the coast of California, there are redwood trees, and they, they're known th- 
uh, by everyone because of how tall they grow. They're about 350 feet tall. Now you'd expect, wouldn't you, something that big, their root system would be incredible. The roots of something like that, in order to get enough water, in order to give it stability to stand, that, those roots must be phenomenal. They must go down in order to give it the strength that it needs. But the amazing thing about redwood trees is that their roots are only about five or six feet deep. And what gives it its strength, what gives each one of those trees strength, is its ability to send roots that way and to connect with the other roots of the trees. And by holding together, when the storms on that coast come, they actually don't shift. They just keep growing. You put any other tree in that environment, it would be over. Look at our, our uh, famous storm that made seven oaks like one oak in a, in a moment. There's something about redwoods that have learnt connection with one another that gives them its strength. Hmm. William Branham, a famous revivalist, said, believers should be able to disagree a million miles on theology. But if they ever come to a place where they cannot embrace one another as brothers, then they should feel backslid. I'm not standing here today saying any of this is easy. My life is a testimony <laughs> that it's really hard to keep a posture with one another that is like, I want my heart to always be open to connection with you. And if it's not, for whatever reason, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that we actually can continue to connect. I would say God wants connection. The enemy wants disconnection. Hmm. I would say that God wants everyone to see what he's like, to see who he is, to encounter his presence. And the way that he's chosen to do that is through a beautiful bride who he's paid a high, high price for to bring us into relationship with him. And that we get to, to figure out together that sometimes we have to pay a price for one another that goes, hey, I'll fight for you when you're struggling. that goes, do you know, no matter how much I feel justified in holding this thing against you, it's not what we do. He's building a temple, and it's one with another in order for him to show who he is. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus.